You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, episode 368. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you experience effortless healing, awakening, and abundance. In today's episode, we go deep into conversations and discussions about sound healing, one of our most favorite topics, raising your levels of consciousness, letting go of stuck emotions, and the power of immersing yourself in healing sound. But before diving in, I'd like to remind you that I've recently released a 24-page PDF document that outlines some of my favorite ways, my tried and tested ways to raise my vibrations and feel better almost immediately. So if you'd like to check that out for that free download, go to my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now and get your PDF download. All right, so let's bring on our special guest for today. Colin Hillstrom is an innovator and practitioner specializing in alchemy, sound healing, for archetype consciousness coaching, advanced light meditation, and transformational homeopathy. He believes that continually growing one's awareness, understanding, and knowledge of the chakra system is a most practical way for living a more balanced, aligned, and successful and, and fulfilling life. Colin created his first full-time wellness center in 1994 and has studied and certified under various master practitioners, including Dr. Reimer Bannis and world-renowned sound healer and innovator Sherry Edwards. So as you can imagine, topics for today are going to be in and around sound and vibration and frequency and healing and consciousness. And you're going to really enjoy today's 
conversation. So, Colin, welcome to our show. And are you ready to inspire? <laughs> yes, I am. Thank you. Thank you very much, AJ, for having me on the show. And uh, yes, <laughs> ready to inspire. It's all about that, right? Uh, I mean, a lot <laughs> of people talk about uh, neo-spirituality and spiritual growth and all this sort of things. And, uh, and those conversations can become quite heady, uh, often approached from a left-brained kind of side. Uh, the question at the end of the day is, um, what actually really inspired you today? And that's really what spirituality is about, meaning letting spirit in and and really living by inspiration. So yes, I'm ready to inspire today, you betcha. Absolutely. And also listeners, for some context, as you probably know, most of the guests that I've interviewed in the past, I'd say about 90% of them are based in the US. And part of my intention, especially since I'm in a very uh, conscious and uh, you know spiritual-centered place of Vancouver, was to reach out to some of the experts and visionaries and healers in the vicinity and perhaps have in-person conversations with them. And so Colin is actually based in Victoria, which is not too far from Vancouver. And this is me going in the direction of connecting with amazing people locally and then if possible, now that's a hint, having in-person interviews with folks in my community about healing, about sound, about uh, frequency, right? So super excited about this session. Uh, Colin, perhaps we can start with your childhood. What was it like growing up in your household? And where did you grow up? I grew up near Hamburg, Germany. Uh, I was 22 years old when I immigrated to Canada. And so what was it like growing up? I grew up in a very small city of about 40,000 people between Hamburg and Hanover, uh, a city that has no uh, post-secondary -edu post education. So virtually everybody after grade 13, the German school system is a little bit different from the Canadian. Like after grade four, you begin to specialize. You either stay in the general school, you go to middle school until grade 10, or you early on choose the academic route and you go to what's called high school which is basically grade five to grade 13, leading towards post-secondary education. So virtually all my friends, including myself, after grade 13, we went somewhere else because there was no other place to study. And I studied um, at the University of Munich for a year. Well, that's actually not really quite true. I enrolled in, uh, in uh, the School of Law at the University of Munich. I went to one lecture and I thought uh, that everybody else was like at least 100 years advanced compared to me. And I decided to drive truck for a year instead of going to university. So I did that. And then I decided to study uh, business administration. And I enrolled at the University of Hamburg. I went to a few lectures there, got a few credits, and uh, just couldn't wait for my ticket to leave Germany. I was, um, prior to that, 13 years old, spent a lot of time in France on an exchange program. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, that was a time that was very... Um, informative for me that, uh, you know, if you, Germany is a place that's really known for tunnel vision. And it's just very, <laughs> the Germanic way is just like, you basically almost like you just have blinders around yourself, just like a, like a horse, you know, uh, pulling a cart in a way. And that's in a way, that's the Germanic way of seeing. You think of the way geographically how Germany is, is a wedge between East and Western Germany. That's just like that mind develops that way. So when I was 13 years old, I got the opportunity to to participate in an exchange program with a French student. And that was kind of my first opener in my mm. mind that there was also <laughs> a different way to be <laughs> German. And I absolutely loved it. And I remember like being, uh, we would, as a family, uh, my host family and I would go out with, uh, with the fishermen on the little uh, fisher boat uh, 
harvesting oysters. And I thought to myself as a 13-year-old, when I'm old enough, I'm going to leave this place, Germany, and I'm going to move to France. I'm going to become a fisherman. Mm. And then when I was 17 or 18 years old, I thought I can't wait to get away from here. And then the opportunity opened up to uh, immigrate to Canada. And I uh, landed in Ontario at, uh, in Waterloo and I studied economics at Wilfrid Laurier University. Mm, interesting. So uh, you spoke about the fact that the Germanic ways is very focused, very straightforward, right? Like, mm-hmm. And then you notice a different way of life in France. So how was that different? Like, what did you see in France that was, you know, there was a stark difference or a paradigm shift from what you saw in Germany? What appealed to you? And then what were some ways in which you were like, I want something more than this? What was there something happening deep within? Yeah. <laughs> You know, AJ, that's a really great question because obviously it's like the younger years, they really have a huge impact on how we think and what we feel and kind of set the stage maybe for the future that we don't know yet how it's going to unfold. But um, Mm -hmm. what probably struck me most in France is just that um, how much people, the adults, actually love their children. Mm. You know, the Anglo-Saxon way, meaning the Germanic, the British way is where children are to be seen, but not to be heard. Mm. And, you know, uh, and, uh, and then how to, how to enforce that or reinforce that is not the nicest way. Uh, I found something completely different in France. You know, they just like, they loved their children. There was a lot more freedom. Um, it was freedom that also had clear boundaries, but it was a completely different experience. So um, mm. later on... Um, when I became a father, I have uh, three boys uh, from my first marriage. My children are now between the ages of 25 and 34. I remember that uh, when my wife at the time and I discussed how to raise our children, we actually looked into homeschooling. Mm. And I think that um, that idea to homeschool and to provide a more unstructured way to for self-development was probably somewhat informed by my experience as a young teenager in France that, you know, give them freedom, mm. give them freedom to become themselves. Mm, that's wonderful. Because the thing is that a lot of our listeners are parents or would be parents, or maybe they are parents who are looking back at, you know, mm. when their kids were young. So there's a lot of thought going around conscious parenting. That can mm. be hard, right? Because like you've alluded to, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a fine line. Mm. Um, obviously you can't be too harsh on your kids, but then you got to have boundaries, mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it's interesting that that experience that you had in France sort of deep down was the seed that made you want to homeschool your kids later on in life. And it's so important. It's important to give your children some space and provide them true love, unconditional love, so that they're able to nurture and grow into, uh, you know, uh, respectful adults and make their own decisions, which is, which, is, which is great. So thanks a lot for sharing that perspective. Okay, so then you went to France and then you had that, in your mind and then you immigrated to Canada at a certain point down the line. Uh, talk to us about your first experience with spirituality. Do you remember any sort of spiritual or mystical experiences as a kid? No, not at all as a child other than I love okay. music. Uh, music has been probably the first love of my life and uh, mm. I vaguely remember uh, personally but uh, mostly because you know being told that when I was like three or four years old I would walk up and down the streets with a little accordion and I would kind of sing songs that I heard on the radio, you know, of course, you mm. know, um, just making it up as I go. So the other thing that I remember as a child, um, so I was born in 1959. So being a child in the early 60s, 
uh, there was a lot of live music in in the municipal parks, and uh, so a lot, we had a lot more live music actually, mm-hmm. uh, like public live music uh, in the in the '60s uh, growing up than we have nowadays. And uh, I would always be drawn uh, to to the stage, and I would just be right in front of the stage wherever there was live music. So that's kind of what I remember in terms of I wouldn't necessarily call it a mystical experience. However, it tells you what you love, right? The thing that is it's like it tells us something about your essence. So mm-hmm. music was probably yeah, from the first memories I have of being me, mm-hmm. which was, I don't know, maybe age three or four, uh, all right. the way to now, um, it's always been around music and sound. So we call That's that, amazing. Yeah, I know this would not be considered a mystical experience. Uh, so being, being consciously drawn towards the field of spirituality, that only happened later on in my late 20s, early 30s. And... Uh, it was uh, a book titled The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukav. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was probably my first book on spirituality that I ever read. Mm-hmm. Mind you, a, a book that predates that for me was actually the first book I ever read on self-development was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, mm-hmm. um, which actually is a book about vibration. Much of that was actually edited out in the first editions. Mm-hmm. Um, but and we talked, you know, you mentioned in your introduction, you know, frequency, vibration, think and go rich is all about that, um, mm-hmm. about how to pl- how to apply that to one's uh, practical life, career and business, etc. But the first book about that was be um, the Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukav, and and that really opened me up towards developing more um, spiritual awareness and consciousness. Amazing. Okay, so you mentioned that when you were a kid, you were almost mystically attracted to music, especially live music in particular, uh, which is wonderful. Like you you mentioned that it might not be particularly spiritual, but everything is spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, especially when it happens at such a young age, you begin to wonder, is it this lifetime or is it some yearnings from a previous lifetime that are sort of carrying forward because it's you're such at a young age, right? I remember when I was a kid, I used to draw a lot and my parents would tell me that I used to sketch um, drawings of fish, you know, just the simple fish drawings or, or or the sunrise or or scenery. And I was very attracted to that. Um, and later down in life, I realized that there's a part of me that's an artist. And maybe I don't do sketches, but I bring out my art in different ways, mm-hmm. as you would imagine. Uh, and then later on, you read the book by Gary Zukov, uh, Seat of the Soul, right? So mm-hmm. what made you get to that book? Like what was happening in your life? And what sort of made you pick up that book? <laughs> I don't remember that, but I tell you, uh, I tell you where it happened, and maybe that's one of the reasons why it happened. Mm-hmm. In 1994, I decided to move. At that time, with two children, our third son was born mm-hmm. later, a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to move from Vancouver to Nelson okay. in, the, in the Kootenays, and uh, and Nelson is quite a different place uh, than Vancouver. Um, you meet. Uh, your chance of actually meeting more uh, people that are on the path is mm. greater. And there's a lot more heart-centeredness. And uh, I would say Nelson was a place for me that um, where my real transformation began. So I moved to Nelson mm. in 1994. In 1987, mm. uh, I started to grow wheatgrass and, uh, and sprouts. And so that was kind of a time when I really began to transition um, and open up towards you know, self-healing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the self-healing for most people actually begins with looking at the body, meaning there's a, it's a physical, material approach. 
And obviously, it's a gradual opening up to the soul. So it happens through, for most people, through the physical body. That's what happened to me, right. too. You know, you might speak and interview a lot of people who had really mystical experiences uh, be, uh, early on in life. That's not me. At, uh, until the age of 30, I was just like everybody else. You know, I would have maybe voted for Trump when I was 25. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely was in uh, support of the uh, Mulroney and and the progressive conservatives. Nowadays, you know, I have a completely different leaning if mm-hmm. I vote at all. Um, so what I'm saying is that the the, um, the spiritual awakening for me um, happened in my adult years. I'm really quite grateful for that because um, this path has helped me to also understand better uh, those people that are still today who are coming in as clients whether it's for coaching mm-hmm. or sound baths, who are where I used to be, let's say, 30 or 40 years ago. Because I can mm-hmm. relate, because I went through that process too. I met quite a right. few people who are in the healing and spiritual professions who've always been a mystic, and they just mm-hmm. can't relate. You know, And, uh, and that's okay. Um, but I see that as uh, a blessing for me that my awakening really happened in my late 20s. And how the book came to me, I don't remember, but it did. And it actually mm-hmm. made a had a huge impact on me. That uh, one of the things that Gary Zukav writes about, and quite a, quite a bit of that book is about the subject of relationship. Mm-hmm. Gary Zukav in uh, the book "The Seed of the Soul" distinguishes between the traditional relationship and a spiritual relationship in a marriage. Right. And I realized that I was in a traditional marriage, and I was on a spiritual path now, and my wife wasn't. And I realized mm-hmm. that uh, we were going in different directions, and that prompted me to make the decision to actually leave the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that uh, was a very uh, pivotal point in my life. And talking about uh, being inspired, yes, uh, really living by inspiration requires a tremendous amount of courage because you're getting tested, whether you mm-hmm. really honor spirit or not. And, you know, I know you want to talk about chakras. And uh, I'd like to, as we kind of speak here, maybe yep. uh, uh, reference the chakras. We talked about early on in our lives, you know, of course, the first three chakras that mm-hmm. actually relate to our earlier developments. And the third chakra, according to Carolyn Mace, is all about honor yourself. Mm. And so if you don't honor yourself, you actually cannot get access to your heart and to your third right. eye. And it's impossible. The, the major work has to be done in the third chakra. And you could be uh, 50, 60, or 70 years old. If you haven't done that yet, you know, just to work on opening the third eye is it's almost um, irresponsible because we actually have to do our work in the first three chakras first and build a really strong foundation. And looking mm. back, if I hadn't actually had say, the courage to do what I've still today feel spirit asked me to do or encouraged me to do, meaning that leave a marriage with three children. It was a diff- difficult decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I hadn't actually honored myself, I don't think I would be sitting here talking with you today and doing the work I do. Mm. Interesting. Thanks a lot for sharing that. And uh, what you said earlier on uh, in our conversation really resonated with me is to be able to relate the pe- to the people that you're trying to serve uh, and the the ability to relate comes from going through the same experience sometime in the past. And uh, especially if you're a healer, if you're helping someone heal, if you've not gone through phases in your life where there was darkness or where there was some kind of suffering or distress or worry or anxiety, and then you use certain tools to heal yourself, it's going to be hard to relate to that person who is now going through that dark phase or the dark night of the soul, right? Mm-hmm. And so almost in a way, it seems like if you want to serve somebody, going through a process of darkness or challenge or difficulty or obstacles allows you to relate to that person better and almost be in their shoes, right? And so I think that's an important thing 
to bring into the conversation as opposed to somebody who's never had challenges in life. They'll not be able to, even though they'll try, not be able to relate to what the person is going through. And that's, I think, it's important yeah. to have, right? Well, absolutely. I, so my firm belief, unless the person was actually born enlightened, right? Um, if a person hasn't actually gone through, let's say, the darkness, their shadow mm-hmm. side, uh, right. I, I believe they're trying to avoid it and they're staying mm-hmm. stuck in the mud. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be, I would say, I, that's a general statement. And I, like I said, mm-hmm. unless a person is um, born enlightened and there are some people who are actually born that way, yeah, few exceptions, uh, we all have to uh, ascend through fear. And well, and in, in essence, it's probably all about the various degrees in which, or various ways in which we perceive and project fear that needs to be transcended. And uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people distract themselves from that, including people who are actually on, uh, maybe in the, in the helping profession, you know, healing profession, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So when and how did you discover um, crystal healing bowls and the power of healing mm. using sound? Because I know that you've got a background as a songwriter and multi-instrumentalist, right? Yeah. So how did you sort of embark on the healing path using crystal balls? Where did that happen? <laughs> uh, so in the uh, 90s, I lived, uh, you know, I, so I moved uh, from Ontario to, uh, to Vancouver in 1990 mm-hmm. and lived in Vancouver until 1994 and then moved to Nelson. But uh, around 1994, I think it was either I was still living in Vancouver. I, uh, so when I actually moved from Vancouver to Nelson, I would quite frequently, in Nelson, I started my first full-time wellness center, but I still had a lot of clients in Vancouver. So I would quite often come back to Vancouver. And I remember like around that time, picking up Common Ground magazine. At that time, it was about 10 times the size of what it is today. Uh, so like Common Ground and Shared Vision were the, the two Bibles, uh, like, you know, published monthly in Vancouver. And everybody would, was kind of on the path, would kind of read those um, publications. And there, so in Common Ground, there was a lengthy interview with a internationally renowned sound healer, Sherry Edwards. And 
that interview really captured my attention. And uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I got in touch with Sherry and she was based in southeastern Ohio, uh, working through the University of Ohio. Mm-hmm. And I went to study with her and um, her method did not include crystal singing bowls, but it was like through uh, my interest in sound healing. And she was a wonderful teacher. Uh, but through her teaching, you know, I, of course, like um, developed a large library of um, not so much books, but um, uh, but recordings. And at that time, we already had CDs. So I would purchase uh, some CDs. There were um, some Vancouver-based sound healers, uh, the two ladies, I think, uh, they went under the name Crystal Voices, and they released at least two CDs, and they included crystal singing bowls. So the regular type bowls, they're like crystal singing bowls that are that don't include any other elements, are typically white or clear. Mm. And uh, so they had two CDs, and I used those CDs quite a bit in in my own meditation practice. But I wasn't drawn to actually playing coarse crystal singing bowls myself. Um, there was something about the sound that didn't really attract me, but uh, I, I didn't feel attracted to them. So... Fast forward in uh, 1915, I lived in Banff in the Rockies, and I heard there was a crystal singing bowl uh, store that just opened up. And I wasn't interested because I didn't have any interest in crystal singing bowls. Mm-hmm. And and this store was part of a mall, so it was the kind of on. It had a, a frontage that was on the street, and a frontage that was in the inside court. And I remember one day mm-hmm. coming coming back from a massage session upstairs in the building. I wasn't a bit, a bit of a rush. I actually found a shortcut through that store to get outside the mall. And then I, I walked in the store and it had all these beautiful coarse crystal singing bowls. They were colorful. Mm. And I was just like awestruck. That's how I discovered these bowls that I play. And that's how I fell in love. It was an instant hit of called inspiration, spirit. Mm. And uh, what's different about those bowls is that they're alchemy bowls. And that's when, you know, Adrian introduced me, introduced me as an alchemy, alchemy crystal singing bowl player and an alchemy bowl um, contains more than one element. So mm. it's, it's an alchemical process. It's, um, so these bowls, for example, um, they include precious, semi-precious gemstones and metals. So uh, they include platinum and rose and gold and uh, amethyst. And so actually by playing them, you get the vibrational signatures of what else is in them. So they actually have a completely different frequency and vibration than regular bowls. And the moment I started playing them, I knew I had found... Um, Something really, really special. Oh, I didn't know that. So the regular crystal bowls, which are white in color, are different from these colored bowls, which yeah. tend to have these different precious metals or crystals mm. in them that sort of create this more complex uh, crystalline uh, vibration. So, the... yes, let's be careful about what we say here because um, yes and no. So a bowl can be colored. It can have color yeah. because it's been painted. Okay? Yeah. So you have to ask Correct. the manufacturer, all right? There are only very, very few manufacturers in the world that actually make a real alchemy bowl. Most bowls, mm-hmm. if you see a crystal singing bowl that's colored, uh, it could be painted. And then it, the, the price will tell you. Uh, like a, a real alchemy bowl starts at about $1,000. Okay. Whereas like a colorful bowl that's just painted, um, you know, will be like $100 to maybe $300. So what they do, how they make these bowls uh, is that uh, they, they crush and they melt quartz crystal. And they okay. melt, let's say, uh, platinum. And then they create an amalgam. They mix the liquids and then they cast a bowl. So that means that there's actually a real amalgam, a blend of quartz and platinum. What's significant about platinum is that platinum is a precious metal that helps us to connect with the divine feminine consciousness. Mm-hmm. So if you want to, one of the best ways to get in touch with the divine mother mm-hmm. is to actually have platinum in your life um, and actually listening to a quartz crystal singing bowl with platinum 
uh, is an incredibly sweet experience sonically and also uh, the way it feels to you. You can actually feel and hear the difference. It's quite remarkable. Wonderful. So getting in touch with the divine feminine, using vibration and bathing in the sound. And I'm sure that is a wonderful experience. When did you experience your first uh, sound bath uh, session? Um, timelessness, spacelessness. It's like you don't feel your body. Mm -hmm. You lose complete sense of time. Mm -hmm. Like a 20 or 30 minute sound bath, you might estimate that maybe five or seven minutes just passed. Mm. One of the first instant healing experiences I had in my life, I actually only had two. Uh, the first mm -hmm. one was actually with sound. The second one was with light therapy. But the first one was sound therapy. And I wasn't, okay. playing, I wasn't playing bowls myself at that time. I was, it was, this was at the place in Banff. And on every Friday evening, they had a sound bath, like a 30-minute sound bath. And I would go every Friday evening. And maybe that the second or third sound bath, I asked myself the question, what's, what actually happens here with the sound? How does it work? And because and, yeah. uh, I felt there was something going on that I had never experienced before. And I just wondered, like, how does healing occur? Is there, like, is there an interface between my higher self and, and the source of sound? And within a flash of a second, it felt like a lightning struck my middle toes on the left foot. Okay. And, I, and I felt an uncoiling happening there. And this uncoiling, um, I should preface that, uh, I went hiking in the Rockies for several years with hiking boots that were too tight. So okay. consequently, I had this spasm in my middle toes and the left foot. And I tried a physiotherapy and massage and, and rolling right. my feet and nothing helped. So I asked this question, how healing happens with sound. And it was, like I said, within a split second, it was like a lightning strike going to my middle toes. And I literally felt an uncoiling happening and the tension was gone forever. Mm. So... <laughs> Uh, since then, I've had quite a few people come to me after a sound bath and shared several experiences, um, like some people recovering uh, loss of hearing, uh, recovering or uh, resolving pain in their bodies. It's really quite remarkable what happens when we're ready to disentangle, when we're ready to de-stress. Mm -hmm. But anything can do it. I mean, just like uh, singing a beautiful song can do it. It can, like, there are endless ways to actually heal yeah. oneself. Mm -hmm. But definitely sound and the vibration of sound is one of the most amazing ways. And, and that's one of the reasons why we love music so much. As a species, our, our brains, we have musical brains. Our mm. brains, the human brain has evolved on music. And that's mm. why we love music and sound so much. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, even I have, uh, through my own practice or research, identified that our human brains uh, are used to experiencing vibration, but in harmony to heal. And then when it experiences vibration, but that is disharmonious or creates dissonance, that can create some illness, right? Well, it can be. So um, one of the ways to actually enhance the brain function is by using two notes that are side by side. If you look at a piano mm -hmm. keyboard, you see yeah. there's a white key and a black key right next to it. Yeah. So if you actually play both, um, you, get a, you get what's called a binaural sound if you have a sustain on it. And with, with, with chords persisting in both, because they have this long sustain, it's wonderful to create, like acoustically create binaural sounds. These kind of sounds are used um, in, uh, as soundtracks in, on, in movies. If the director wants to um, increase alertness in the viewer, you know, they use this kind of sounds. You know, if you watch a Hitchcock movie, you know, like he's probably one of the first people who use that. Um, because, yeah. But you don't want to actually carry this on too long because it then becomes uncomfortable. Mm. But if you use these kind of notes just briefly, it causes a coherence in the brain, meaning the left and the right suddenly start suddenly start to work together mm. and you experience more alertness. 
And right. when you then go to musically to a sense of letting go or release, then it goes like, ah, it's just like everything kind of surrenders. But it surrenders to a place of more internal balance. And that's how mm-hmm. we can use sound in a beautiful way to uh, generate more relaxation, more surrender. And of course, from a perspective mm-hmm. of chakras, you know, the, the brain, you know, is the area of the sixth and seventh chakra. Well, as those chakras uh, relax, you know, there's a trickle-down effect all the way down the line. And so that's the way to affect more rebalancing and alignment of all the chakras. This happens mm-hmm. kind of without actually one directing this uh, willfully or consciously. It's just mm-hmm. the best way to have these effects is just to actually be in a place of openness. <coughs> that's, that's amazing because the way I got into healing and spirituality is through binaural beats. And oh. I used to listen to an audio by Mind Valley, Om Harmonics. And uh, back in the day, I would listen to it. And I loved this, the science behind it because like you've sort of explained, uh, two different sounds, slightly different in frequency, affect you know, one in one year, the other in the other year, creates like mm. a third sort of artificial wave that creates the healing uh, or starts the healing process in our own body. And it's wonderful that you're able to recreate the binaural beats through your bowls. And uh, I didn't know that Hitchcock... Mm in his movies used to create these binaural beats to, to sort of entrain or put into trance the, the audience, which is, which is fascinating. So at the moment you've got, you usually play 15 bowls, right? I currently have 15 bowls. Yes. Okay. So is there a significance no. for 15 or? No, I'm just, okay. <laughs> I would have 20 if I could afford it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. And it's pretty expensive. Like you've sort of mentioned. Yeah. I started with three uh, course Quista singing bowls. It all started around the very first one, which was mm-hmm. just love at first sight. And, uh, and then it kind of went to expand from there. But uh, because these bowls are made and then they're measured for their note and tone, mm-hmm. um, that means that um, you have to, when you start with one bowl and you want to put a set together, that's kind of in tune with each other. Almost like, you know, okay. let's say you went to the symphony and everybody had kind of a different tuning on their violin, you know, it would sound terrible. Yeah. That's why at the beginning of a symphony, you, somebody stands up and they hit kind of the note of A on a piano or pluck it on the, on the violin and everybody sees to make sure that they're actually in tune. That's basically how I have my set. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every ball player does that, actually. I found that, you know, we all have different reasons for kind of putting sets together that we do. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, like music is really important to me. I'm a mel- melodical person, so I like melody. Uh, so my sound baths are, uh, they can sound like Stravinsky, uh, but they can also sound like a sweet lullaby. So it's a combination right. of things. And I like to be able to, uh, so I like, I, like, um, I like creating harmonies. And obviously sometimes you create disharmonies, but, but that's how it started for me with just the first bowl. It happened to be the note of A, which mm. is actually the third eye, is the sixth chakra. And what's really interesting mm. about that is that uh, uh, research, uh, Achillean photography research on how sound affects human cells shows mm-hmm. that every time um, your body hears the note of A, your cells emit pink light. Okay. Every time you listen to the note of A, your cells, no matter whether it's blood cells, brain cells, emit pink light. So, um, so it doesn't matter now whether... Um, well, note of A. The note of A is typically uh, associated with the third chakra, which uh, sorry, with the uh, the third eye, which is the sixth chakra. I say typically because there are some sound healers who disagree on which notes correlate with which chakras. But I would say eighty percent of the literature states that the note of C is the first chakra, note of D is the second chakra, etc. Mm. 
I always su- suggest in my sound fast, like, you know, feel the sound where you can feel it in your body mm-hmm. and just be mindful with that. And you'll know, kind of uh, go with that instead of having an idea of what it should be like. Mm-hmm. Got it. To so go with open expectations, be willing to receive and then, you know, the healing can take place or the transformation can take place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talk to us about the frequency of the sounds that are generated by these bowls and how do they really affect our own frequency? Like you've sort of mm-hmm. mentioned it a bit as soon as you emit the A note, there's a pink light emitted mm-hmm. by ourselves. But diving deeper, how do they really affect or influence our frequency and uh, our cells and, and our state? So apparently the human body, the human, the frequency of the human body is somewhere between, so about like um, a healthy person. Mm-hmm. Uh, say like just like someone like you and I, um, probably uh, our frequency is somewhere around, let's say 80, let's just say 80 to 90 hertz. Meaning that, okay. you know, our cells, so we are like kind of, we are a composite of, you know, like trillions of cells and they can be measured in uh, cycles per second. And so the frequency of our cells it could be somewhere around 80 or 90 hertz. And it might be a little bit less than that. You know, I'm, I'm not just so sure if there's actually really a clear science about that, but I, I read that um, the brain of someone like Einstein typically had, would have a frequency of about 88 hertz. Mm. Uh, to put that into perspective, um, I believe uh, rose oil, uh, aromatherapy, like pure rose oil is somewhere around 200 to 250 hertz. Mm. Um, last year, I played a sound bath for uh, the World Yoga Expo, and there were uh, some dignitaries there from, uh, from, from India. And mm. uh, one of the gentlemen came to me afterwards, and he said, wow, these bowls, like they are at least 500 to 1,000 hertz. I right. thought, very interesting. I do have no idea really at what, at what level they, they vibrate. And I don't know if, they, if it has been measured. It might have. I'm not a type of person that actually pays too much attention to numbers. Um, I'm, I'm of a right brain person. So uh, I, I'm somewhat intrigued by science, but I'm more interested in the science that proves that um, uh, yet there are light emissions on a cellular basis because I know these things intuitively. I just pick them up spiritually or through awareness. And yeah. I, I prefer let other people do the scientific work. So I really can't tell you exactly uh, in terms of vibrationally where these balls are. I just know that they take you beyond space and time awareness. And so that means that they must have, uh, they must resonate at a frequency that's beyond our awareness of space and time. So, um, so for example, what that means is that uh, it takes into the uh, hypnagogic state of consciousness. Hypnagog- mm-hmm. Hypnagogia is a state that we typically experience just before awakening or just before falling asleep. That's mm-hmm. where we have access to a more um, like dreamlike states of consciousness, where sort of the logical part of the brain is kind of dormant. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So thanks a lot for sharing that. I love the hypnagogic state. And especially these days, I'm more mindful of the thoughts, the emotions, or anything that I'm feeling or the media that I'm consuming during my hypnagogic state, which like you've alluded to is sort of 30 to 40 minutes after you wake up and the time before you go to sleep, we are almost in a state of trance and transitioning into sleep. So then I'm guessing that if somebody, like if, for example, if you're you know playing your balls and people are sleeping and it's dimly lit and candles are lit in your in your room, somebody is like visualizing or, or trying to manifest their ideal uh, life condition or maybe their health, there's a much higher chance of that getting manifested, right? Because A, the, condition, the conditions are conducive, the sound is there and they are in that hypnagogic state. 
So the hypnagogic state, um, so just to be clear, it happens um, just before we wake up? Yeah. Or just, be, or just as we're falling asleep? Okay. Right. So in that hypnagogic state, our awareness of time and space is diminished to the point where we actually are in this state of timelessness. Yeah. In a, time, in, a, in a true state of timelessness. So I'll give you an example. I played a sound bath here in Victoria last night. And yeah. it's a typical thing that happens to me after a sound bath. And it happened last night too. People come up to me and say, hey, Colin, how long did you play for? And I said, well, 45 to 50 minutes. And they said, mm -hmm. really? Because it just feels like, felt like just five minutes passed. And of course, you know, we started seven. We, they leave just after eight. So they know I'm speaking the truth. <laughs> but mm. so I've been playing sound bath since 2015 and now we're in 2020. So like for five years, I've been experiencing the same thing that um, these type of um, immersing oneself in these sound waves. And there is a difference between listening to a recorded sound bath to a live sound bath. You mm. still get in a recording um, in a recording, you still get sort of the benefits of, let's say, the structure of sound. Like, for example, mm -hmm. like two notes that are like the binaural sound or two notes that are known as the perfect fifth which is ideal for uh, balancing, you still get those benefits, but you don't get the benefits of actually being in the sound wave. You know, mm. it's just the difference is like diving into a swimming pool and enjoying swimming versus listening to water splashing. Right? Yeah. Um, so when we're in this timeless state, like as Eckhart Tolle writes about in The Power of Now, but I think it's a little different here because reading about being in the now versus experiencing being in the now. Yeah. When you actually are in a timeless state, there is no future, there is no past, meaning there is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no fear. There's also nothing to manifest. Mm. Most ideas of what we want to manifest come out of fear mm. to run away from something or to move towards something. Right. right. We are all caught in the duality of pleasure and pain. Mm. One of my favorite passages is in the Bhagavad Gita. You know, it's like um, uh, free from the duality of pride, you know, uh, free from selfish attachments and selfish desires beyond the duality of pleasure and pain. Mm. ever aware of the self with a capital S, meaning the true self, you know, the wise keep moving towards that supreme goal. So mm. being free from pride, being free from selfish desires and selfish attachments and being beyond the duality of pleasure and pain, that actually happens outside of space and time. Mm. So when you come into a sound bath or whether have you an advanced light meditation session, you actually get into a timeless state. You don't mm. have to set intentions. It's actually better mm. not to set intentions, just to be completely open-minded and say, I have absolutely no clue what's best for me. Okay. And it's just like, um, one of my favorite teachings is A Course in Miracles. And of course, in A Course in Miracles, like daily practices, you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Meaning mm. that I'm not going to rely on my own willfulness. And by the way, according to uh, Carolyn Mace uh, in her book, Anatomy of the Spirit, which is about the chakra system. Yeah. You know, so at the level of the throat chakra, the fifth chakra, we surrender self-will for higher will. Mm. So if I go to a sound bath and I set an intention, I want to have this or I want to manifest that, I'm still actually exerting my self-will, mm. which is not the way of the spirit. So God, there, is, there is an easier way. Mm. And the easier way is I have no clue what's actually best for me. And we talked about uh, raising children earlier. I, fortunately, as my kids were just little, I started to read these books like Gary Zukav and so on. And just realized that I have absolutely no clue what's best for me. Mm. And at that time, my kids were just like five and seven years old and two years old, my third one. Mm. I realized mm. if I don't know what's best for me, how can I have know what's best for my kids? Right. So that doesn't mean that we give up and put stick our head in the sand, but it means that we stop pretending that we know what's right. So we give mm. up this righteousness, you know, and, mm. uh, and really become open to guidance. And so it's a long journey to... Mm give up this conditioning and, you know, 
we talked about this earlier, the Anglo-Saxon way of being right. uh, is very much like, I know the way and here it is, like it's my way or the highway, you know? Yeah. Fortunately, we're transcending this individually and collectively. Mm. This idea that I know what's best for you and you better follow me. And if you don't, I'll yeah. show you. You know, that's the old way. Right. There are still people that like who are like that. But uh. when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, right, right. So so I'm going to push on this conversation a little bit because I just <laughs> want to understand this better myself. Like you've alluded to, it's important to be open and it's important to be receptive because the truth is that we don't know what our higher self feels is best for us. Our limited conscious self has only a limited perspective. But my thoughts are, and based on the previous conversation that I had, previous interview of the guest who gave the analogy of a lighthouse and our and our mind is the entire ocean, which is black, which is dark, and most of it is hidden in the subconscious mind. Wouldn't we, as an individual, want to shine the light or at least uh, express our intention in terms of the person that we want to be, whether it's somebody who wants to heal themselves or whether it's somebody who wants to attract more abundance uh, into this life or manifest a better relationship? Like, I understand there's a lot of things that are out of our control and we need to be ready to receive, but doesn't that setting that intention help in the process of manifestation? I just want to get your thoughts on that. Absolutely. So I'm not suggesting not to have intentions. I just want to be careful about, yeah, yeah, yeah. about the details. Okay. Okay. Um, life is directional, meaning yeah. that we cannot go back. We think we go yeah. forward, but even that is an illusion. Um, okay. So, because we're talking about the past and the future, you know, that's kind of horizontal. Yeah. However, we can also go deep and we can go high. So, consciousness itself is actually like a, it's, it's a vertical reality, mm. meaning that everybody can relate to the idea of spiraling down or spiraling up. Yeah. So, that means I cannot go backwards in time other than through my, I can go backwards only through my memory. Yeah. But for sure, there's going to be an hour from now and there's going to be tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and I cannot really set an intention for there to be a tomorrow. It's going to be there tomorrow. There's going to be a tomorrow whether I'm actually here or not, or at least it appears to be. However, what I have control over is the kind of whether my mind and my emotions shift upward or downward. So mm. now we're actually talking about orientation. So mm. I can set the intention to actually move upward in consciousness. Consciousness itself actually is, is not a... Consciousness is static. Consciousness has always been the same. And that's why we see it. And we, I found this really interesting... Um, maybe about a year or two years ago, just watching a Western movie. And I realized, interesting, human nature hasn't changed much. All that has changed is the stage, the setting, mm. where we kind of express ourselves. So we, today, as 100 years ago, we have people that are really kind and generous and compassionate and loving and yeah. the opposite. That's consciousness. So consciousness mm. really is an orientation. So I can set myself the, uh, the goal, the intention to actually rise up in consciousness, meaning to become, to transcend fear and pride and this quote I gave from the Bhagavad Gita, you know, uh, rising beyond the duality of pleasure and pain, that's all at the lower levels of consciousness. When you speak to somebody, if you read uh, the, the writings of, of the highly enlightened masters, I'm thinking about, for example, Paramahansa Yogananda in uh, Autobiography of a Yogi. Okay? Yeah. Um, one of the things he states there, uh, as he meant, 
through his travels, in his travels through India, where he met so many of the enlightened sages, he stated that many of them were still actually affected by the effects of the ego. Mm. For example, just showcasing their amazing abilities. It's like this, to walk on water, right? Um, yeah. So even the zone of enlightenment is actually a vast terrain of, of consciousness. So to get to mm. the very peak of it, which we would call you know, Krishna, Buddha, or Christ consciousness, for example, uh, is still a vast terrain. So you can set the intention to be as Christ-like as possible in your life, and you have no idea what it's going to look like. That's right? true. And that's where the point I'm trying to make. Like, set an intention for orientation or direction, but not for the details. You cannot know yeah. the details. That's absolutely true. Thanks a lot for sharing. So don't get too muddied into the details. Set the intention, but be ready for your wise higher consciousness to, to help you, to transform you. There's a philosophy yeah. called the perennial philosophy. And okay. The, the perennial philosophy means that it's the philosophy that's been around for ages and which basically has a couple of points that all, all of the lasting religions and major spiritual teachings agree upon. And that is, there is a light in the soul and the purpose of, li of life is to actually discover that light in our soul and to bring it into existence in the here and the now. So really the only thing to manifest is an increasing stream of light from our inside out. There is no, mm. nothing else worth manifesting. Mm. Other than that, it's just an idea of who I or we want to become, which is based on some doctrine, some dogma, some conditioning. But light mm. itself is actually universal. It's transcendental. That's the thing right. to manifest and nothing else, in my opinion. Wonderful. Uh, so we need to focus on manifesting the light that is already within us. Yeah. So I, I love that perspective. Now, like you've sort of alluded to, we live in a dualistic world, or at least we've been brought up that way, right? Where for some reason we have certain experiences, we have certain traumas, we've developed certain subconscious fears, some shame, some guilt, some um, illogical angers that sort of trigger when we have certain interactions. And all of this sort of keep us in the darkness, right? So how does sound or, you know, experiencing a sound bath help us sort of transition or, you know, deal with that aspect of our, of our being? Oh, that's a really great question. I think the answer is quite simple, even though it might seem there are different ways to answer <laughs> that question. Yeah. Number one thing, here's something I discovered in playing sound baths, is that a sound bath will amplify their predominant orientation in a person. So a person who's still really stuck in negativity and just extreme selfishness, um, a sound will actually amplify that and they will feel horrible in a sound bath. But these, type okay. of people, but these people are typically not attracted to a sound bath and they won't show up. It happened only once to me that uh, a person like that was in my sound bath and that person ended up there because a well-meaning friend kind of pulled them into it. And that basically gave me the awareness that, okay, um, because I'd heard before that the sound really amplifies our, our predominant orientation. So... Typically, people that are attracted to a sound bath uh, are there because they really want to heal, meaning that uh, to some extent they have taken uh, on some self-awareness and self-responsibility in directing, in moving up the spiral, so to speak, towards the light. Mm. And, uh, and so as that happens, um, maybe a metaphor could be tuning an instrument. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite books is called uh, The Music of Life by Hazrat Inyat Khan. He was a Sufi master and kind of the master musician uh, of, his time, of his times in India. And uh, so coming from the Sufi tradition and who are masters, mm. at, master, masters at sound. He uses the metaphor of a, of a container. Mm. So if you think of yourself as a container, of course, you look in the mirror, you don't see your aura. I mean, most people don't. I don't. I don't see my energy field. I don't have the spiritual capacity to, to see shapes and colors. 
so I look in the mirror, I see my body. Some people can see their body and the aura around it. So if you can mm. do that, you know, whichever, whatever you can see, let that be your container. So uh, if you think of a container and that has content, you want that content to be as pure, as harmonious as possible. And that would be now uh, the, in, if you think of your body, the inter and intracellular fluids, mm. right? So we have fluids in our cells and we have fluids between the cells and your body's the container. You want all of that, what, what is in your container to be resonating uh, in harmony. So science has shown that acoustic sound projected onto water uh, actually help, uh, affects the water crystals. Mm. Uh, so when you hear sound, the crystals uh, that are uh, in the water uh, that's in you, and 70% of us is made up of water, will actually start to reshape itself into beautiful crystal-like shapes. And that's what actually what happens. So you actually become on a frequency level, but also on a metaphil, metaphysical or and structural level, more harmonized. Mm. Well, that will affect how you think, what you think, and what you feel. So that means that in a sound bath, what happens there is a retuning of this instrument that you are. You're, you're retuning your container. If you mm. play a cello, your cello is your container and you got to tune it before you play a song. Right. And ideally, before you go into a meeting or say hello to somebody, you want to tune your instrument. So what comes out is just beautiful, loving, harmonious thoughts and feelings and what you project is at that level. If you come mm. to a sound bath more often, it actually, you basically hold yourself in a higher, in a higher attunement longer. Right. It's like if you go to see a chiropractor just once, you fall out of the chiropractic alignment really quickly. If you yeah. go several times, you will hold your alignments more, more frequently, meaning like how do you sustain the benefits? Mm -hmm. And that's a simple secret. Mm -hmm. Just find something that works for you, practice it often so you can actually sustain the new vibration. And so that's how we change. Have you seen uh, recently I saw a viral video where they were using sound to suspend stones and large rocks in midair just no, to the sound to, no i haven't seen that i'd love to see that yeah it's a viral video and they have large like a large board like a large rock mm -hmm. and when the sound stops the rock hits the ground mm -hmm. and when the you know the vibrations go back it, it goes back almost like a star wars movie well there are speculations that you know many of the monasteries the tibetan monasteries yeah know, built high up in the mountains they use sound and i would i don't know if there's like hardcore evidence to sustain that substantiate that but uh uh, understanding at what level um, these Tibetan masters operate, it would not surprise me. That's exactly how they managed to actually build these incredible structures and possibly the pyramids themselves too. So uh, um, ancient people probably right. were, could have been a lot more advanced than we are today. We don't know. Yeah, that's sure. so true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've read some of the books by Graham Hancock mm -hmm. and he talks a lot about uh, ancient Egypt. He talks about mm -hmm. ancient South America and some of these megaliths, right? These huge pieces of rock. Uh, and based on our projections of the technology back then, it seems impossible that humans themselves, mm -hmm. uh, through uh, you know, uh, through normal force, could move such you know large rocks up the mountain. And, and what he's suggesting, I think, is that they had access to sound technology to be able to carry those rocks uh, well, before. And nowadays, we know through. The field of quantum physics is that just by the mere power of observation, we can actually move objects. So if mm. we could actually develop more powerful minds, which you know, gets us into the field of the supermind or supermental intelligence, we yeah. have no idea what's actually really possible. You know, uh, we use actually most of our brain. It's just like how we use it. I think that's, that's going to change quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of really where sound and, and, and light technologies become extremely uh, valuable to experiment with, to see like, you know, 
how can these, how can sound and light, for example, help the brain to rewire itself so we can actually mm. make more use of the higher, higher potentialities of the mind? So in your estimate, I mean, I think in you've, you've written or you've shared earlier, not in our interview, but before, that we are potentially using just a small percentage of the, poten- the actual potential of our brain, right? So what are your thoughts on that? Like, we do have a potential for accessing the super mind versus where most of us are right now. So the way I see there is, um, so we probably use 100% of our brain most of the time, but you know, our, everybody's brain looks different. So, so if you take two people um, who've gone through completely different life experiences and education, uh, their, their neurological system and their, the wiring of their brain may look completely different. And they probably mm-hmm. they might each use 80 or 200% of their brain all the time. Um, but their brains look different. So therefore, if, if you think of the brain like a biocomputer, mm-hmm. you can see there are, if you use a very, very, very primitive type of computer versus like a supercomputer, obviously mm-hmm. the supercomputer has capacity to process different kinds of Input uh, consciousness is actually like a software program. So um, where I draw that from is actually one of my major influences in the field of coaching, and just the way I think is actually comes from David Hawkins' work, first published in uh, Power versus Force. In Power mm. versus Force, David Hawkins uh, published what he called the Map of Consciousness, and the Map okay. of Consciousness actually very much correlates with yoga psychology, where in yoga psychology we have the three gunas, right? So we have the toxic, the, uh, the, the mid-range, and then we have the harmonious ranges. And above that, then we go into the more elevated levels of consciousness where we find like pure love, joy, peace, and ultimately enlightenment. Well, mm-hmm. a, a person who uses their brain just to process uh, greed and guilt and fear and anger, you know, they can use 100% of their brain just to process those levels of consciousness. So where it's like greed and anger and shaming and guilting are like the software programs they use. But let's say mm-hmm. they have a pivotal moment of change, a near-death experience, for example. They come back and they realize that, oh my God, there's a better way to be. None of this is mm-hmm. actually useful. So now they actually become kind. Their brain is going to change, uh, meaning that the brain is going to rewire itself. The brain knows mm-hmm. how to prune itself. It actually gets rid of neurons it no longer needs. So they may still use 100% of their brain, but their brain starts to look different. And now they actually uh, process thoughts and emotions, consciousness at the level of, let's say, understanding, neutrality, even meaning that neutrality, they no longer believe that their way is the right way. They can be neutral, right. equanimity, so to speak. Now, if you take someone, let's say you meet someone like, like Buddha or Christ, you know, um, mm-hmm. they use 100% of their brain, but they're actually using a software program that's completely actually in non-duality, mm-hmm. right? right? So meaning that, so in terms of duality, there are the lowest levels of duality, then there are the higher levels of duality, and then we can also get into the non-dual states of consciousness. You still mm-hmm. have to actually process the non-dual states of consciousness, meaning it's not either this or that. It's just that's it. You just know what mm-hmm. your choice is. You basically get into the zone of choicelessness. You still require a brain to actually mm-hmm. project and perceive what it is that you're percept- percepting and, and projecting. So, uh, so you want to keep evolving your brain, just like Joe Spencer writes about. You want to keep evolving your brain and you actually have to kind of look at yourself and get yourself into different vibrational environments in order to do that. And that's where sound is just one of the ways in which we can actually change the frequency of our cells, the frequency of our DNA, the frequency of our brain, so that we can process the supermind. Uh, sup- uh, Sri Aurobindo, um, one of the most amazing authors of the last century, uh, mm-hmm. I think he coined the term supramental intelligence, meaning that we're actually accessing divine consciousness at the non-dual level. It still needs mm-hmm. to run through the brain. 
Mm. We don't have a brain. We're dead. We're not there That's anymore. Really, really, we're not yeah. there anymore. Right. You can't. Yeah. 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 For sure. I mean, uh, so basically the thing is that you might be running your brain at 100%, but the question is actually tribe. Are you processing negative emotions, uh, lower vibrational emotions, or are you processing these higher emotions like love and appreciation and gratitude and oneness? And so we need to move towards those latter emotions because they are close to uh, the supermind. Now, Colin, I've read in numerous discussions and in books that the, the near-death experience that you, that you mentioned, that can actually be simulated through plant medicine like mush, magic mushrooms or for that matter, uh, ayahuasca ceremonies. And a person can go on a uh, quote-unquote hero's journey to find themselves, uh, go past the confines of their ego, experience an ego death, experience oneness, and then come back with the so-called portion. So what are your thoughts on plant medicine to experience the same without actually having a real-life near-death experience, but having the benefits of oneness and, and, and understanding what is actually the truth. There are so many different pathways to get up to the peak of consciousness. You know, I, you think of consciousness as a mountain to climb. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, um, like Christ used the mountain as a metaphor all the time. You know, it's like, yeah. because it is a, we, everybody has a mountain to climb. And I, I find, I love that metaphor because what I realized, I did a lot of um, hiking in the Rockies and uh, um, the higher you go in the mountains, you know, the less you actually have to be concerned about other people because everybody's up there is actually really nice. You know, yeah. you could leave a thousand dollar bill on the bench and it'll be still be there somewhere or somebody will have turned it into a lost and found. You leave a thousand dollar bill or even the, a dollar coin in the valley down where yeah. everybody is, uh, it'll most likely be gone, you know, unless one of the people right. that are up on the way up the mountain has actually found it for you and turned it in. So um, there are, but there are many different ways, infinite ways that you can take to get up to the mountain. Mm. So it doesn't matter whether it's just... Uh, with plant medicines or without plant medicines. It's just whatever you're drawn to mm-hmm. um, makes a difference. Uh, my favorite question is like, what's it good for? So if a person wants to take an ayahuasca journey, mm-hmm. I think they should start with the question, uh, why, would, why right. would I want to do this? You know, if a person wants to take mushrooms or, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, the toad, the, the bufo, um, uh, why would I want to do that? If it's just to entertain themselves or to distract themselves, I don't think they're going to... Um, necessarily make a lot of difference in their lives um, unless it just happens um, accidentally but if we it, it comes back to the intention right the question like what's it good for why would i want to do this and so yeah i really have no judgment on uh, whether you know somebody asked me hey what do you think about plant medicine I said well talk to people who've done it and uh, so for example i don't really use them i, I have but i um, it's not kind of my choice what i mm-hmm. find that uh, in using um advanced light meditation that gets you into the hypnagogic state, um, you can get pretty close to the white light and get as close to a near-death experience as possible. But when the session's over, you can get back in your car and you can go, you can drive home. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas like, you know, if you take uh, any of the plant medicines, you know, it's a very long time investment. Yeah. I mentioned you earlier that I studied economics <laughs> before I got into spirituality. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, efficiency, effectiveness, these are mm. kind of virtues I, uh, that are really important to me. Right. I do like to drink wine and beer once in a while. And my greatest regret is always the next day. It's like, Colin, why did you do that? You had like one or two or three hours of fun. And now yeah. you're suffering for two days. It doesn't make any sense. Like, when are you right. going to remember? You know, I'm getting better <laughs> at remembering um, the kind of the, 
the cost-benefit analysis is one of those um, yeah. ideas that come out of you know uh, economic philosophy, and it's really true. Uh, the mm. cost-benefit analysis is huge. So if you want to have get as close to a near-death experience as as you can without actually harming yourself, um, an advanced light meditation like hypnagogic light meditation session uh, might be almost be a better choice than let's say taking uh, going on a mushroom or whatever other type of journey because it takes way longer. Mm -hmm. So anyway, those are just considerations, considerations. Um, I, I've had a toad experience myself, um, and it was absolutely remarkable. Um, I highly recommend to somebody who feels really called to it, uh, and it's quite profound. You actually really get into the uh, state that's, I would say, on the other side of the veil. Mm -hmm. And um, I was going to say something else about that, but, um, you know, uh, there are some states of consciousness. You get, get into them, and they are almost indescribable, ineffable. Um, yeah, just follow your follow your gut sense as to what you want to do. That'd be sort of my suggestion. There is no right or wrong path up the hill or up the mountain. Just choose it wisely. Thanks a lot for sharing. <laughs> You're welcome. Action Tribe, are you finding it hard to de-stress and unwind in the midst of this crazy pandemic? Come join us for a soothing, relaxing breathwork session online on Zoom. Now, I do these sessions for our paid members twice a week, and I've received so many powerful testimonials from people who have received a lot of support, comfort, and healing from these sessions. And to show you just how powerful these yogic breathwork practices are, every month I do a breathwork intro workshop for people who'd like to give this a shot. In the past, people have paid anywhere between $10 to $20 for a drop-in, but for a short while, I've decided to make these sessions available for just 50 cents a ticket and these sessions are live but you just pay 50 cents so if you'd like to learn how to calm your mind relax your nervous system and experience deep states of bliss using your breath from the comfort of your home visit my7chakras.com forward slash breath work intro that's my seven is a word my7chakras.com forward slash breath work intro i'll see you soon So Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's special session on sound, on frequency, vibration, consciousness, and how you can access your supermind and uh, the numerous benefits that are waiting for you. We all have the ability to heal within us. We've just forgotten how to. With the right vibrations, we'll be able to align our body towards peak health and ultimately the experience of oneness. It's important to be patient because you're on your way there. And the very fact that you already spent your time on this podcast means that you are committed to discovering the truth. And the truth is that you are just one sound away. <laughs> because as the Sufi philosopher, like you mentioned today, Hazrat Inayat Khan once said, sound is the force of creation, the whole, the true whole. Music then becomes the voice of the great cosmic oneness and therefore the optimal way to reach this final state of healing. Uh, and with that being said, it's now time for the last round for today, the wisdom round, which contains four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. So, Colin, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? To be honest, honesty is the key. Got it. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone living or dead, who would it be? Paramahansa Yogananda. And what is it one thing you do in the morning or maybe in the evening that has really improved the quality of your life? I do some spiritual reading in the evening and I do spiritual reading in the morning. 
and I do it together with my wife. Great. In the morning, we have a cup of coffee with that, and we read something like, you know, A Course in Miracles, in the evening, same thing, but no coffee. Mm-hmm. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? <laughs> a Course in Miracles. The workbook. I suggest to actually read the workbook and uh, by, Kenneth, by Kenneth Wapnick. That makes a huge difference because The Course in Miracles can be very challenging to read. Uh, to read it with a narrator like Ken Wapnick uh, makes a huge difference. And the reason why I say that, because A Course in Miracles is a course that takes you into pure non-duality. Okay, I'll just mention that as well. So Action Tribe, would you like to receive this book for free? Because Audible.com is offering all our listeners, that is all of you, one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. And Colin just told me that the book Living a Course in Miracles is actually available on Audible, which you can grab for free. The truth is that listening is the new reading. So if you'd like to try this out, if you'd like to claim your free credit, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book. That's my7chakras.com forward slash free book to start listening to this miraculous book. Uh, Colin, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Uh, Before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and how we can find you online. (laughs) I'm grateful for moments like we just had uh, because sharing sharing and connecting... uh, I don't know what's more beautiful than connecting with another soul and other souls. I'm really grateful for that. How to find me, just go to my website, www.colinhillstrom.com. That's C-O-L-I-N-H-I-L-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. Perfect. We'll add the link in the show notes. Are you also on any kind of social media or Instagram? I'm, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I rarely use it. Okay. I'm on Facebook, rarely use it. I'm actually really kind of uh, <laughs> slowing down on social media. Yeah, that's actually a, a great decision. I myself do not post that much on social media, but I tend to connect with my listeners via Insta stories, just, you know, just yeah. one part of Instagram. Uh, so, Action Tribe, if you are on Instagram and if you would like to connect, then take a screenshot of this episode and tag me so that I can share your story with our community. My handle is at my7chakras. That's at my7chakras. And as next steps, make sure you download the 24-page PDF that I spoke about earlier so that you can find out ways to raise your vibration and start feeling better. Once again, link is my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. So Colin, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about the power of bathing ourselves in sound and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at My7Chakras.com. That is My S-E-V-E-N Chakras.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.